Welcome to Your Worthy Career, a podcast with me, Melissa Lawrence. I'm a career and life coach with all the corporate cred in talent development and organizational psychology, and I help women like you get extraordinary results by being more you, not less. I won't just help you have a career experience worthy of you, but I will help you build your self-worth to shift what you think is possible and take the action that will create the career you've always wanted. Whether it's more meaningful work you're passionate about, making more money, getting to your next level, or being more effective as a leader, we are shattering the glass ceiling here. The one that exists for women at work and the one we put on ourselves with our doubt and inner critic. Each week, you will get practical teachings grounded in neuroscience and effective career development strategies. You'll experience deep mindset shifts and the perfect amount of woo so you can run your career with ease rather than your career running you. You were born for more, and I'm going to help you get there with maybe a few dance parties along the way. Your up level begins now. Welcome to your worthy career. This episode is so juicy, I cannot wait for you to listen. I have a special guest on the podcast today, Jeff Kasky. Jeff is a life sciences recruiting manager for Workforce Genetics, and he is sharing all of his inside information and secrets, things you wish you could ask a recruiter around how to get a job, how to navigate the job search process in the life sciences. And we are talking about everything from the hidden job market to red flags recruiters look for to whether or not you really need a cover letter anymore to how to have that conversation around compensation without giving your number away, how to talk about gaps in your resume. We are digging into all of it and I can't wait for you to give it a listen. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Jeff Kasky. Jeff, welcome. I am so happy to have you here today. Could you just give everyone a brief introduction about your background and what you do with Workforce Genetics? Thanks, Melissa. Thanks for having me. Excited to to talk about this today. So yes, I'm with Workforce Genetics. Workforce Genetics is a Maryland-based life science search firm. And my job as a recruiting manager, I work with leaders and uh, hiring managers at biotech companies, mostly growth stage biotech companies and mid-sized organizations that are looking to scale their organization. I help them to identify talent. And so very simply speaking, we go out into the market and we are looking for individuals for these companies to help them further their mission as they scale their operations. And so I also work with the candidate side. So I actively recruit candidates for these roles. And so I work with tons of candidates in any given year. And so I've been in this industry now for about seven years in total and have recruited positions from the very entry-level research associate or lab associate position up into the executive suite, uh, executive director, vice president level. Over the course of my career, I've probably placed people with about 40 or 50 different companies in total. So I have a lot of, uh, I guess, different perspectives on organizations, a little bit behind the, behind the scenes of what happens in the talent acquisition process and, and excited to sort of peel back some of the, the curtain today for, for all of our listeners. Yes, let's dive right in. So we're going to start by talking about the hidden job market. And I know some people don't even think the hidden job market is real. They think it's something that just some people are very um, fortunate to have access to, that someone just hands them a job, but it's not for everyone. It's only for the elite. So can you clarify once and for all, 
is the hidden job market a real thing? Oh, it's it's definitely a real thing. And I've seen it through uh, through my lens, especially. I mean, the way that I would describe or classify the hidden job market is any job that's getting filled out in the industry that you may not be able to just go and click a button and apply for or, or submit an application for. These jobs may be posted uh, in a lot of cases, and they are, but so many positions are filled through individuals' networks, really. And so when you think about that, a lot of positions, when talent acquisition, HR, hiring managers are going to build out a team, they're going to talk to their current employees and they're going to gain a lot of employee referrals. Who have you worked with in the past? Who's been successful? Who would you recommend for this position? Uh, a lot of times it's, it's past colleagues. Uh, sometimes it's friends and family. And then a big, big portion of it is the recruiting agencies. And so like Workforce Genetics, there's a lot of recruiting agencies across every facet of industry. But in life science, you have staffing companies, you have executive search firms. And they're very closely tied at the hip with a lot of the biotech and pharma companies out there because so many of these skill sets that these companies are asking for are very specific. And so our job is to go out and identify folks. And so we build networks of our own. We, we are constantly connecting with folks in the industry that may be looking for new changes either now or in the future. And so when you think about the hidden job market, I mean, a big majority of positions are being filled by either from folks that you know at or organization or by recruiting agencies um, that are representing these companies. And, and with recruiting agencies specifically, we're not always posting all of our jobs. They may have a confidential aspect of it. We're going out and we're doing a direct search um, uh, to identify the right skill sets that we need. And so the hidden job market is definitely a real thing. And especially I think in, in this industry, it's, 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 it's very prevalent. Okay, so let's peel back the curtain a little bit more because I'm sure everyone is dying to know, how do you get into the hidden job market? Like, what do you need to do to access those resources and those connections? Yeah, great question, Melissa. So, hey, you have to go beyond applying for jobs. Just applying for jobs is not going to be the hidden job market. You're not going to be able to accomplish kind of tapping into that from that avenue only. So the best way to do that is, is you got to leverage your network to open up new opportunities. And you always want to start who you know very well, but you have to be able to get out your comfort zone and expand that network through multiple different layers. And so some ways that you can join that, especially in this industry, is be active in the life science community, join associations, attend specific conferences that are towards your skill set or function or, or, or sort of region of science. Local biotech networking events are great as well. I mean, especially coming out of the pandemic now, getting out in front of people in person and, 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 and meeting people and networking is a critical way into tapping into that market. You'll learn about new companies at these conferences and these associations, when they're hiring, what they're hiring for, and your skill set might fit into that timeline perfectly. Another way you have to do it, you have to do this in an appropriate way, is you got to be able to, to meet new people. And so you can lean on your current network, but depending on what that network might look like, it may not be super extensive or it may only exist in your company if you've been in the same company for 10 years. And so you have to be able in an appropriate way, go out and meet new people. But you don't want to just be asking them for an interview or saying, hey, here's my resume. Please, please review this mm -hmm. and let me know if anything's open. You want to show a genuine interest in, in what they do and bring value to that conversation. And so I think the best way you can tap into this is, is to continue to expand your network, people that will advocate on your behalf, that will help you get a foot in the door or will introduce a, a kind of hidden job to you in some form or fashion. And leveraging your network is, is critically important. 
You can also tap into it, I think, by just your digital brand as well. Your resume, obviously, is what you're presenting to companies or applying through roles, but your, your LinkedIn profile, your publications, your, your other social media profiles can be great tools to, to help kind of organically draw some attention to your background and tap into this hidden market, especially with recruiters and, and talent acquisition folks. So, I mean, make sure that you are up to date with your information on that. Make sure that it is detailed and searchable. And what I mean by searchable is that there are words, phrases, information within your LinkedIn profile that'll make you findable uh, for particular roles that are of interest to you. I think LinkedIn, I mean, is, is probably the biggest platform or tool for, for tapping into this market, both by meeting new people, but also by just organically building out your brand so that you are someone of interest to prospective hiring managers, to recruiters, to talent acquisition folks that may be looking for your skill set and, and you just mm-hmm. aren't aware that they're, they're looking for it yet. Those would be the, the biggest two areas. I mean, getting out of your comfort zone and networking and meeting new people. And then the second is, is building your digital brand so that people understand what you do, what you're looking for, what you're passionate about at the end of the day. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I love how you call that a digital brand, your, your LinkedIn presence. I think LinkedIn is somewhat underrated around its capability to connect with new people. So mm-hmm. I always encourage people that feel a little uncomfortable about networking to yeah. start with people that they know, like you said. And then one thing that I suggest people do is when they're having those conversations with people they already know, they already like, they worked with them before, is to ask them who they think that they should know. Like who's someone that they think that they should talk to and then help them make that mutual connection for you. And then that gives you one more person and it's kind of a more warmer introduction than just reaching out to someone and asking for an informational interview or reaching out to someone on LinkedIn based on mutual interest or a job posting that you might be interested in. Another way that I think you can use LinkedIn is if you're not ready to kind of jump in the pool and do the the face-to-face networking, you could just engage on people's content. So when people are sharing, like whether it's BioBuzz or Workforce Genetics or a contact you have in your connection, when they're sharing content to just put information in the comments, engage with them that way, because I think that goes a long way. You'll be top of mind for people and it just helps nurture those relationships that you already do have. The other thing that I was going to mention as far as networking opportunities is Women in Bio and ISPE are both global organizations. And so they have, I think, a great opportunity for you to get involved from a networking perspective. There's Women in Pharma within ISPE. So I think there's a lot of opportunity out there. You can also look at your professional associations. Or I was talking to someone recently about conferences. And if you say your company won't pay for you to go to a conference and you don't want to make that large investment, you can usually get an expo ticket for less money than the actual conference. And even if you get a one-day expo ticket, if it's sponsored by someone in the industry, there's a lot of industry people that are going to be there and you can meet people there and talk to them about who you are and what you do. Because the more people that know who you are and what you do, the more you're going to have a larger network of people to tap into to kind of get into this hidden job market. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. It's a multifaceted approach. I think, and depending on, like you said, your your comfort level, some people are, are better on the phone or, or virtually than they may be in person, and that's perfectly fine. I, I myself don't go and work a room at a networking event. It's not my my comfort zone, but it certainly is is advantageous to tap into what your strengths are in terms of networking. You brought up a point there too about. You starting out with your core network and then asking who they may know and who they may be able to refer you to. I think that if you've built that trust with them, that confidence with them, they, they should have 
no reservation in, mm-hmm. in introducing you to other people that are in their network as well. I, I think that's a critical point. And, and even my approach in recruiting is, is very similar. So I start with people that I know and, and, and going out and searching for a role for someone. I'm often asking them, who do you know in your network? Who, who might you recommend for this role? It's the same thing as a candidate talking with your network. Who, who else is hiring for this type of role? This is what I'm interested in. Who do you think I should talk to? I think that's a, a perfect point um, that, that you brought up also. So is there anything that you think that people should avoid when they're applying these strategies to try to tap into the hidden job market? Yeah, yeah, great question. You don't want to come on too strong and just asking for, for any and everything. So like you mentioned before, like if you're coming in cold to a conversation, the first thing, if you've never met someone, if you don't know much about them is to say, hey, I'm looking for X, Y, and Z job. Here's my resume. Do you have guys have anything available like that? It, it just, it shows a little bit of lack of EQ. Um, it also just shows a little bit of lack of research that you may have done on their organization. I think it's it's much more advantageous to work on relationships versus opportunities. So work on building these relationships versus, hey, I'm just looking for a job. I'm looking to expand my network. I was interested in what you guys are doing at XYZ Company. Your role seems to be very similar to, 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 to my background, maybe even. And so I'd love to pick your brain sometime on what the culture is like at your organization mm-hmm. or this particular project. I mean, the more granular you can kind of get with some of the areas to show you've done your research on their background and show that you've, uh, you're not just coming in asking for a favor, because at that point, you really don't have any rapport with the person. You haven't really shown any value yet. I think that's a big kind of no-no is, is going out and just asking for interviews, asking for you for referrals before you get to know that person that you're kind of targeting first. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably the biggest thing that comes to mind when doing this. And then the other thing is just to you want to avoid just staying in your absolute comfort zone. Sometimes to, to grow, things are uncomfortable. And, and whether that's in your job or in your job search process, it's a new skill that you're developing. And so to just keep doing the things that you've been doing, if they've not been working for you, it's time to kind of expand out of that and mm-hmm. try something new and get out of that comfort zone. So those are, I mean, that's the biggest thing I, I can think of. I, I love when candidates come to me and say, hey, I've researched your website and and it looks like you guys are really tied into the space or I see the clients that you worked with and I'd be interested to learn more about what you guys are doing or the types of roles versus someone just sending me a blind resume and saying, hey, please let me know about any jobs that come available. That that doesn't gravitate towards me as much Mm -hmm. as a career. And so it's definitely always um, a positive thing to to come in a little bit lighter and then ask for more and more as you build a relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that emphasis on relationships. That's how I talk about it as well, that it's not just your connections. I think sometimes when people think about network, they think yeah. of something cold and you know collecting business cards and LinkedIn connections, but it really is more of a relationship. And I, I liken it to dating and that you know, in your example, you wouldn't just reach out to someone and say, Hey, let's get married. Like, let's get this job. Let's get married. Like without ever talking to them coming out of nowhere. Right. You want to kind of make sure it's a good fit, talk to them, get to know them. And right now with it being the beginning of the year, it's a great time to just reach out to people you already know and like wish them a happy new year. It takes two seconds. And I think if you're thinking about it from the long game perspective, if you're looking to tap into the hidden job market, when you need a job, then it's too late. Like you need to be nurturing ahead of time. And by doing that, just be genuine, reach out to people you like, reach out to people that you're interested in knowing and wish them well, offer value to them. And then you'll have people there that will want to help you when you need it too. That point is great uh, to me, Melissa. 
nurturing that network before you're you're actively or kind of desperately looking is a great I think thing to bring up. So it, it brings one individual that comes to mind. I won't mention any names, but there's an individual in my network that I reached out to about a few jobs over the years. We we didn't always find the right the right role, or he wasn't looking for a, a new move at the time, but. Like clockwork, at least two to three times a year, he's in my LinkedIn inbox saying "Happy New Year" or my birthday's tag of the "Happy Birthday" mm-hmm. or "Hey, I see that you guys have, have been doing this. Sounds exciting." And it's just little things. And, and I promise that anytime an exciting role comes up, I mean, he's always top of mind for me because his name is just kind of repeatedly right there. And so, anytime I start a new search, if it's similar to his background, I say, "Oh, I, I'm, I'm going to think of him first. I mean, that's just a good example that this person's not coming in and saying. Uh, he's not even actually looking for a role, but he's just constantly nurturing his network. And because there will be a point where he's looking to make that next job change or he's looking to make that next uh, career stage. And I'm sure I'm not the only person he's doing it with because it's, it is very like clockwork. But it, it, mm-hmm. it, it shows me that he's got a good sort of interpersonal skills. Uh, he's got good follow up skills. And, and overall, I think he's just a, a genuinely good person. And so it definitely is advantageous to start that net, network nurturing before time and, and make it a continuous thing. You never know when, when things may change or when it is time to make that next move. And if you've got a lot of that already teed up and ready to go, it makes the, the job search and the career transitions mm-hmm. a lot easier. Yeah. So this is your call to action right now. Whoever, when you're listening to this, is to go out and find three people on your LinkedIn and just wish them a happy new year, right? That's some actionable takeaway that you can take right now to nurture that network, whether or not you're looking for a job. Now, do you think that there's any job search strategies that are unique to the life sciences industry? Um, yeah, so certainly I think there, there are some job search strategies and we've kind of think I cover a few from the networking standpoint, but one that really comes top of mind for me is that I think you have to be a little bit more hyper-focused in what you're going after in this industry and not to negate other industries or, or, or areas, but your accounting and finance or your IT skills may apply to a lot of different companies in more general areas. But within life science, I mean, there is some very specificity towards type of drugs you're working on, the phase that you're working on, the function within your organization. And so I think when you start your, your search strategy, you really need to hone in on companies. And, and what I mean by that is not just going out and searching job titles and open positions, but Target in on the 5, 10, maybe 15 organizations that, that you want to work for and, and focus a little bit more on building networks and relationships and understanding of those organizations. And that's not always easy to do because I know we're, we kind of have our blinders on when we're with our current company. We don't know what's going on in the market. But when I'm working with a candidate and they're telling me, hey, I want to look for a new job, one of the first questions I ask them is, okay, well, if I don't have a position for you, what are, what are a few companies that you'd be interested in? If they don't know the answer to that question, we take a step back and we say, okay, let's understand the market. Let's understand geographically who's in our space, the size, stage of these organizations, what we can kind of understand about their company culture. Is my skill set going to fit into where their, their company is at this point? Do they already have my skill set in a lot of other areas? And so I think you need to really do your research and identify organizations that you're interested in and mm-hmm. then really apply that networking strategy to those particular organizations. You don't want to get too wide, especially in the beginning, because A, it's going to be overwhelming. And B, you're going to, I think, put in less quality work for, for each of those types of organizations. And so 
think the biggest search strategy I tell people, and, and I, I've told friends and family this outside of it, is, is identify the companies that, you, that you're interested in working with. You can add more and more as time goes on as your research expands, but start small, work on building relationships in those organizations, and then continue to expand out as, as organically you may find some, some other companies or opportunities that, that you just weren't aware of uh, prior to that. I think another search strategy is there's so much... So many roles that are filled externally um, by agencies and, and recruiters in this industry, and, and like a lot of industries, but especially if you think about your more mid to senior level positions, manager, director, vice president roles, a lot of times those are going to be handled by uh, an executive search firm or by a, a recruitment company. And so building relationships with recruiters that are in your space, I think is critically important. And like we just talked about, you don't want to do that reactively, but, but proactively. I love when people that are in leadership positions say, hey, I'm looking for the next stage, but I'm, I'm probably looking for that in six to eight months from now. Okay, well, that way we can kind of keep talking through the types of organizations that we're tied into, what's going on in the market, uh, what companies are going to be scaling up, which companies are going to be kind of staying more stagnant. And so I think the biggest strategies are identifying your target list. And then uh, especially if you're looking for your kind of mid to senior level um, step up is, is to definitely be connected within the the recruitment field as well, because a lot of those positions are coming through agencies like ourselves. Yeah, that's great advice. I think it's really important to know when I work with my clients, I tell them you need to know what, what they want, right? There's a lot of opportunities and the industry is very competitive. And so the more you know what you want, the more confident you are, the better you're going to come off in the interview and the happier you're going to be because you're going to be in a job that you actually want, not just one that you think that you should have. But part of that is looking at what is that short list of companies that they really want to work for that are going to be a, a good culture fit for them that they can focus their search on so they can focus their networking. And then also to reach out to recruiters like you, like others to really build those relationships because it is a very reciprocal industry yeah. and people, I think, genuinely want to help others. I think everyone that works in this industry has a passion about bringing medicines to patients, about doing good in their in the world and in their life. And so I think if you kind of play your game right, play your cards right, and nurture those relationships and really care about people, know what you want, then that's going to get you farther than just kind of casting your net and just saying, I just need to run out of this job. I'm not happy. Just give me anything. I'm happy yeah. with anything. You won't be as competitive or marketable that way. And because the industry is so well connected, that's why we keep harping on relationships and networking, because most of the jobs that are filled are either internal or through referral. And it's like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, which I don't even know is a relevant reference anymore. It's so old, but <laughs> it's like, like somebody it. always knows someone it's very connected in this industry. So it's really important to have those relationships. Versus other industries, and I've worked in some other industries, is that it's it's probably more interconnected than, than any other industry that I'm aware of. Just because the, the amount of collaborations that take place, the amount of joint ventures that take place through academia, government, industry, biotech, pharma, like there's, there's so much collaboration that it's, um, you don't see that in software development as much, or you don't see that in real estate. You don't see that in, in the finance world. I mean, it's, it's pretty specific to this industry in a lot of cases where there is just a very, very close knit and, and, and spider web approach to all these organizations and, and, and companies and, and universities as a whole. So uh, I think that's a great point. 
Okay, so how can someone best represent their transferable skills when they want to move into a new department in industry? I see this relatively often where maybe somebody is in manufacturing and they want to move into QA, or maybe they're in a specific therapy area and they want to move into another specific therapy area, or scientists that want to move into project management or more business management or operations. Like, How can they best represent those transferable skills where it's authentic and honest, but also demonstrates that they're qualified for that other position as well? Yeah, great question. And I think that transferable skills into making that next that next job change, like I said, whether it's a scientist or a project manager or uh, maybe an individual contributor even to a, a people lead type of role. One of the biggest things I'm looking for when I see that there may be not that like concrete skill in their background is I'm looking for a logical explanation of how they can bridge the gap between those two. Whether, hey, I've, I've worked cross-functionally with these departments in the past and, and I've gone out of my way essentially to understand what they do, what their function is, help them out in times where it's not necessarily under my job description, but because I'm interested in this space, I took the initiative to, to, to get out there and do that with my, my colleagues. I think you have to get pretty specific with examples of how these transferable skills relate. So I'll use the scientists into project management aspect. and so. It may be where you, when you're talking with a hiring manager or recruiter, say, hey, my job title is not project manager, I'm a, I'm a scientist currently, but I've worked with X, Y, and Z collaborators, and I was able to run this study, and this is the timeline that we were able to meet that in, and here's how we were able to improve the overall operational efficiency of it, or I was able to build out Gantt charts or timelines or whatever. So it may not be your job title, it may not be a job description, but it's certainly a part of your role. And, and one of the things I, I like, too, is... If you can get even kind of qualitative with that, I was talking with an individual in, in this very capacity that was a scientist that had a lot of project management experience, but he wasn't a quote unquote project manager. He spent 40 to 50% of his time uh, in project management, other time at the bench. And so he was able to really give me some concrete examples of where he managed projects, who else was involved in the project management capacity, and what their kind of end goal was and how they were able to accomplish that. And so you have to be able to bridge that gap and provide specific examples of how those skills have been utilized, maybe just utilized in a, in a slightly different capacity. Again, just drawing a correlation between the two. And so if you're going out and you're applying for these roles that are not exactly what you're doing now, but you have some transferable skills, I'd advise you to, to sit down and write out lists of examples of what you've done in the past and how they correlate to this new type of role that you're looking to get into. And so whether that's, like you said, going for manufacturing, to QA or from individual contributor to people lead or scientist to project manager, you definitely got some of those skills, but you got to be able to explain them, put them out on paper and, and kind of logically get those out there. And you got to practice ahead of time. Uh, don't mm -hmm. wing it. <laughs> don't wait till you get to the call to try to draw those correlations. Really kind of think through it logically ahead of time, make it make sense to yourself. That way you'll be more confident in having those conversations moving forward. Okay. So to clarify then you would recommend having those examples you can talk through, but to also list that on your resume? I think so. I think that when you, when you think about the interview and resume component of, of the hiring process, we hear things, but we also, I think we want to see it kind of visually, especially in, in getting in the door. And, and, and oftentimes your resume, you may talk with a hiring manager or recruiter, but then it gets, it gets dispersed to other people in the team. If they weren't in that conversation with you, they may see a lack of that experience on your resume and say, well, I understand they talked about it a lot and they listed this here. So yeah, I definitely would recommend being able to verbalize it, but also being able to put 
examples of those transferable skills within your resume. The thing about a resume a lot of times is oftentimes we just want to list responsibilities, 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 and we almost are reflecting a job description. But really what I think hiring managers want to see is areas that you've been able to impact a business, Mm -hmm. uh, areas you've been able to impact a team and impact a process. And so trying to get qualitative with that as much as possible is important. And and you can, I think, draw those correlations to a new skill set or a new type of function um, by by getting specific with some of those examples, both in your your verbal presentation of it, as well as your your resume that's being shared with the company. Okay. That's really good. So I have some rapid Q&A for you. Before we move on to that, is there anything that you want to mention about the hidden job market that we didn't talk about? And I'm trying to remember the stat as we were talking about it earlier, but I mean, going back to, is it real? I mean, I think it's, it's something 50 to 60% or above that's jobs that are being filled that are, are not being applied for. And it's mm-hmm. not there. I have to go back and look at that stat, but it, it's, it's certainly prevalent. I think that you don't have to, when you think about the hidden job market, again, I think the biggest thing that I'm coming out of this is, is doing it proactively. And so it doesn't have to be a race. You don't have to go out and, and blast out a campaign of messages or, or anything like that. Start small and build on it and keep building on it um, organically over time. I think that's where the genuine networking comes from versus very just sprayed approach. So, uh, no, I think we've, we've covered a lot on that and, and, and certainly an interesting topic to talk through. Good, good. Okay. So for this rapid Q&A, these are questions that I collected from my clients and from people in my network. They were the burning questions people wish they could ask a recruiter. So we're going to get through as many as we can. And so if you could give the most simplest response to each one so we can hopefully get through them all. Are you ready? Ready to go. Okay. All right. The first one, are cover letters still relevant? I would say no. I would say at best, I mean, from a recruiter standpoint, if I get a cover letter and a resume, I'm going right to the resume. I'm skimming the cover letter. And yeah, so I would say in most cases, not as relevant as it used to be. Okay. So it's not going to put you out of the running for a job if you don't submit one. Unless you see on an application process must submit cover letter, then I don't think it'll put you out of the job. I've heard even hiring managers say, if I submit a cover letter with a resume, I say, did you read that in the cover letter? And they're like, oh, no, I didn't even open that document. So I would say that uh, the resume is much more important uh, than the cover letter. So only if a company is requiring that you put it or requesting it, I don't think it's absolutely necessary. Got it. And I'm going to, what is your school of thought around resume formats? So you, you mean like in length or in like? So there's a, the way uh, I can tell you what my perspective is, which is, yeah. Hiring managers all have their own preference for how resumes should be formatted, how they should look, the order that they should be in, if you should have a summary, not have a summary, however you like to format it. From my perspective, what's important is that it represents your qualifications, your education, and your accomplishments, and that it's really clear the impact that you're making and Mm -hmm. that you're qualified for the role you're applying for. How you decide to put that together, as long as the keywords are there, the information is there and accurate, it's going to really be up to the recruiter or the manager and whether or not they find your resume appealing to the eye. Yeah, and you said appealing to the eye. I think that's outside of just the content. The content is super important, but something that like is is easily readable, um, that it's, it makes logical sense. I mean, chronologically, doesn't leave a ton of area for questions. 
the, the more friendly a resume is to my eyes, the, the more easily I'm able to extract information out of it and make a decision. Is this person the right candidate for me to spend 30, 40 minutes talking with, or is this person not have the qualifications for this role? And so oftentimes when a hiring manager, recruiter, talent acquisition person receives a resume, I mean, they may be receiving a lot of resumes or not very many at all, depending on the, the popularity of their role. It, it definitely need to be able to look at that resume and, and extrapolate uh, critical information mm-hmm. within a good minute to minute and a half. I mean, I think that to be honest with you, people are not taking 30 minutes to read everyone's resume. Uh, just don't have time in the day for it. And so you need to be able to hit the, the high points quickly. It'd be a friendly formatting. One question that always comes up for me is like, does it have to be one page? No, absolutely not. If you have two years of experience and or you're coming right out of college, then yeah, keep it one page, like keep it concise to the point. But if you're at 10, 15 year, 20 years of experience, like, and you're trying to keep it to one page, you're doing yourself an injustice. You're not sharing a lot of the accomplishments that you've had, a lot of the impact that you've had in the organization. Now, does it need to be 10 pages? No, it's, it's not an academic resume if you're going towards industry. But I mean, two to four pages is kind of the sweet spot, I think, mm-hmm. uh, for, for somebody that's experienced. But yeah, that's a big question I get all the time. Does it have to be one page? Do I have to condense 20 years of experience in one page? Absolutely not. I think that's a bad idea. So that information is, <laughs> I say wrong, but uh, it, it's dependent of, of your level. It's outdated, I think. I think it's something yeah. that probably many of us heard early in our career well, and then no one ever corrected it and we just kept going with it as our experience grew. <laughs> well it's when we always used to print out pieces of paper so you didn't right. really want to print <laughs> six pieces of paper now now it's all digital like most times you can pull up a resume and, and you have screens side by side and you're looking at the mm. full resume at once yeah i mean recruiter eyes definitely get trained to scroll for certain things and, mm-hmm. and job titles and dates and companies and so make that kind of evidently clear but make it also where we can get to the meat of that resume as well so hopefully that that's helpful that's really good i'm so glad that you added that and then when you were talking about linkedin and your digital brand is yeah. it important that your resume match your experience on linkedin it's important that they are both accurate in the sense that like we don't have different dates or like if I look at LinkedIn and I get a resume and it's like there's like five different companies, I get kind of caught off guard because I maybe found your LinkedIn profile first. And now your resume is saying all this other stuff, but your LinkedIn doesn't have to be your resume. Like to copy and paste your resume into LinkedIn isn't as is critical, I think. I think your LinkedIn is, is an opportunity to expand beyond your resume. It's to show a little bit of personality accomplishments um, within that. And so it can be a little less formal, like, I mean, using, I mean, I, me, that type of stuff in, in there where you may not use that in a resume. You've got a lot of avenues on LinkedIn to say, hey, here's my publications, here's my certifications, here's my volunteer work, here's a picture of me, here's sort of my headline. Like there's so many different areas that you can plug mm-hmm. and play information so that I mean, people can kind of be drawn into, into your profile, whereas a resume, honestly, it's, it's a little bit, no pun intended, a little bit more black and white. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, uh, it's just kind of more words on a paper. And so I think you can bring some life to your, your brand from your LinkedIn, whereas you may not be able to bring quite as much life to that in, in, in just your resume at all. Okay. So is it a red flag if someone doesn't have a LinkedIn? Ooh, um, not necessarily a red flag, but if you're active on the job market or you're looking for a new role and you don't have one, I think you're just, you're missing a big, big area. Mm-hmm. 
I might think, okay, this person is a recluse or they just don't necessarily focus on building networks and people and things like that. Um, it wouldn't be a deal breaker for me as a recruiter if, if somebody shared a resume with me and I say, hey, can I see your LinkedIn profile? It's not there. But it is kind of a, a head scratcher moment in this day and age, I think, with just the prevalence of, of LinkedIn, the professional network. So if you're looking for a job, if you're looking for that next stage in your career, I mean, definitely have a LinkedIn. And it gives, I think it gives other people um, another area just to, to learn more about you. So it, it should be, it should be advantageous. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are there any red flags that recruiters look for in screening interviews? Yeah, so definitely. Um, and I've learned these over the years because I, I see what I hear in the beginning and then I find out what happens in the interview process. I'm like, all right, that makes sense. So this is coming out of my own mind data. Um, candidates that don't ask me questions in a recruiting screening are a red flag for me. What I mean by that is I may do a great job or, or not so great of a job and explain the role and the company and the culture to you, but there's going to be some areas that I probably don't cover in a 30, 20, 30 minute call. I'm leaving 10 minutes open purposefully in the beginning, middle or end for questions. And if you don't have any questions, A, I may not think you're interested. B, I'm probably going to think that you're not going to ask any questions to the hiring manager. And that's going to be probably a, a big no-no in the interview process or, or kind of a stumbling block for you. And, and it just shows me that you don't have sort of a a curiosity about the role of the company, the, the sort of bigger, the bigger business outlook of the organization. So when I say, hey, okay, well, I've walked through this information, what questions do you have? Well, I don't have any questions. Today. Sometimes there's a red flag in my head to say, all right, well, I know I purposely didn't include everything or we didn't have time to go through everything. There must be something there. So that's, that's a big one for me, lack of questions or lack of kind of curiosity beyond what I just explained to you. Another one for me is surface level motivation. And what I mean by surface level motivation, we all want to make more money. Um, we all want more flexibility. We all want, I mean, the things that are for, for me, 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 me. But if, if you aren't passionate about what you're looking to do next, if you don't have a real kind of something I can sink my, my teeth into on, on why this next role would be a good fit for you or why this company is of interest to you or why you might be stifled in your current career growth at your current organization. If you're just saying, oh, I'm just, I'm just looking for a job changing for, for the money or so that I can work one more day a week from home. Like, that's great. Like, that's, that's part of it. I get that's what we need, but we need something on top of that. Like, we need, hey, I'm really excited about their technology. Or I'm really excited about the opportunity to build a team from scratch. I really enjoy building processes for companies. So I want to join a startup where I don't have so much red tape and I can really put my thumbprint on something. Like that's what recruiters want to hear. That's what hiring managers want to hear. And so it's not all about what's in it for me, but what can I also bring to the table for you? And so I think that's a, that's a critical thing that I'm looking for always is, is what's your motivation? Is, is it legitimate? And, and does it make sense for, for me to, to represent you to this organization that is a client of mine? Hey, that was such a juicy response, Jeff. <laughs> you said you purposely left some information out and that you're looking at what questions to, that the candidate is asking. Because I think some people have told me that they don't ask questions with the recruiter because they assume the recruiter doesn't have the answers. And so they're waiting to talk to the hiring manager to ask yep. those positions. And I think that's just based on their experience with some of yep. the people they've engaged with. So another question that I had was what questions are appropriate for mm-hmm. people to be asking at the recruiter stage. And I like that you brought up also like the work from home, because that's something people also will mention is they really want a remote position or they really want a hybrid position and they're not going to consider it if it's not, but they don't want to necessarily ask that with a recruiter, but they don't want to waste anyone's time. So if you could provide some insight into what questions people should be asking, that would be great. 
I think when you're, when you're working with recruiters, and going back to the point you made, yes, not all recruiters are going to know everything about their client, their company. I mean, especially external, you don't work there day to day. You're representing them. You may have done site business and, and working with their teams, but you're not an employee of that organization. So you may not know every intricacy of the organizational structure or the strategy or the financial situation and that, that, that you're just not privy to. So that that is accurate in some areas. But don't be afraid to ask recruiters questions. I, I think you also understand what their knowledge and understanding and what sort of clear vision the company and recruiters have together of what the role is. So don't shy away from, from answer, asking questions. And good recruiters will say, I don't know, or I can find that out for you. They, they won't try to make something up. So yeah, don't shy away from that, even though you may have had some experiences where people didn't know too much about the role. So back to the question is, is what are appropriate questions that you can ask recruiters, they can ask you in the recruiting interview stage? I think about this is you definitely want to get deal breaker things out on the table. And what I mean by deal breaker things are if you're looking for a position that you can work from home and this position is 100 miles away, like don't spend five hours going through hiring manager interviews and all this other stuff. And so I ask that question, hey, I'm really looking for a position that can work from home. Is this position allowed at this time? Get the answer. If it says yes, then we can move forward. If no, then not. It's also appropriate if you're working with an external, I'm going to emphasize external or agency recruiter. It is appropriate to talk about compensation in the first call. I always get this question. I get a lot of candidates that are shy away from this. And Recruiter wants to understand where you're looking for compensation-wise because they want to make sure they're not wasting your time or anyone else's time if the budget doesn't meet that. Last thing you want to do is, is go through six hours of interviews, probably, and then find out that the job offer is going to be $30,000 less than what you're looking for or what you're making now. And so it is definitely appropriate to have conversations about compensation with an external recruiter, with an agency recruiter. Now, with this internal talent acquisition, they're more HR, they're, they're tied to the company internally. You may want to kind of wait on that or at least ask, hey, do you have a compensation range for this position? I just want to make sure this is in uh, the ballpark that I'm looking for. But it definitely is appropriate to talk about compensation early. You don't want to do that with hiring managers. Uh, if, you, if your first call is with a hiring manager for whatever reason versus a recruiter, first thing that comes out your mouth shouldn't be, what's the pay for this role? Because it's not showing the hiring manager that, that you have a genuine interest in it. But a, a recruiter's job is to be an agent. Just like if you're going to buy a house and you're going to buy a house, you wouldn't walk in and say, well, I'm very interested in this house, but I don't know what the price tag on this house is because I don't know if it's in my budget, it's not in my budget. So Recruiter agents, kind of like real estate agents, we're here to work with both parties, uh, the buyer and the seller, to, to figure out a, uh, a comfortable area for everyone and something that works for all. And so we, we should have this information. We should have this comp ranges. So it's definitely, it's definitely okay to ask. I would say uh, another question that is appropriate at this stage is just to understand like the growth opportunity with the role. Um, I think to, to understand where this position can go beyond the current position is, is certainly appropriate. As I'm qualifying positions with hiring manager, one thing I always ask is beyond this position of project manager or director of quality or, or head of clinical development, what's the next stage for this person? Where, where could this person expand within this organization? And so try to get that understanding from recruiters. They may be able to give you some, some ins and outs of the organization, what they're thinking that they're not putting on paper. I think finding out growth opportunity is something also that's, that's pretty relevant at this stage. 
Anything else you can think of? I'm, I'm, I'm well, I love those things that you brought up because I think asking about growth opportunities has been kind of taboo to talk about yeah. during an interview process because I think candidates don't want to come off as they're already looking for the next step yeah. and they're not happy with the role they're actually applying for. So is there a way to have that conversation that leaves the hiring manager or the recruiter with a positive perception? Yeah, yeah, you, you hit a good point there. You, you don't want to, if you're applying for a director role and you're already thinking about a VP role right out the gate there, they're like, oh, slow your horses. We're, we're trying to recruit you for this right now. So, yeah, I think it's a good way to breach that subject. And it's a little bit less direct, but it's, it's a little bit less aggressive as well as can you talk to me about what, what your process is internally for an internal promotion? Have, can you give me some examples of other individuals that have come in and say this level and have, have been uh, moved into a, another level within the organization. So asking them for examples, real life data on, on other folks that have had this experience with the company. And, and you can back it up by saying this, hey, I'm very interested in this role. And I think this provides me a great growth opportunity. But as I look at the next three to five years of experience in my career, I, I feel like I want to continuously be challenged. And, and, and I'm looking to, to eventually, this is my end goal here. So does this exist in the organization? Have you had other folks that have been able to, to, to grow their careers within your company? So I think a way to do it a little bit lighter is just ask, like, what other examples can they share? And a lot of times I, I talk to candidates about, I mean, my clients, I, I'll give them examples of we brought so-and-so in for a, a senior scientist. Now they're a director or whatever. Maybe this was the timeline that it took them to go through. So this is what it could look like. It's not guaranteed, but these are some examples of, of how individuals grow within the organization. So asking for examples, asking about how other folks have gone through that growth opportunity, I think is a way to say, to ask about what the culture is like around that without saying like, hey, am I going to be in this position in three years uh, or not? Because that's a little bit more of a, uh, a make or break question or, or something they can't just uh, guarantee at that point. Mm-hmm. That's a great reframe. I hope everyone wrote down those questions. Those were great questions. Okay. So you touched a little bit on compensation. So I'm curious, is your philosophy or perspective that a range should be made available to the candidate? Or I think some candidates, especially women, where there is a pay gap in some situations, are concerned about saying their salary and then being kind of stuck in that same lower range and not really being brought up to maybe what their value is or what they're contributing. So do you have any tips on how people can um, handle that in a way that is beneficial? Yeah. First off, in a lot of states, including Maryland, California, New York, I think Massachusetts, a lot of states are gravitating toward this. Companies are no longer allowed to ask you your current compensation. Uh, it is against the law. If somebody asks you that, you do not provide that information. And so they cannot base future compensation on current compensation. And, and I think it's a great thing that's being put into effect to, to close those gaps in a lot of ways. And so if you get the question, whether it's from a company or uh, a recruiter or whatever it may be, I mean, I think the best way to approach it is either if somebody says, hey, uh, Melissa, what are your compensation expectations? The way I typically advise people to talk about this is say, I mean, first and foremost, the, the role and the, the career opportunity is the most important thing. But beyond that, of course, I want to be financially compensated. I'm assuming that your company has probably benchmarked this position and, and is competitive with the market. And so could you share with me in the budget or the range that you're looking for in this role? Uh, if they do share that with you, then you don't have to kind of throw out your cards first. You can then based off your response off of what their range comes back at, 
in recruiting, it's called dropping the anchor. So somebody's got to drop the anchor first. And if you're a candidate, you want to drop the anchor first. Uh, you want to ask the question. So if you're talking in an inappropriate time about compensation, um, if they don't bring it up early enough in the process, you can say, hey, we're, we're getting a little bit deeper in this process. I want to make sure that just financially this, this can be, I mean, I've got bills to pay, I've got kids, whatever it may be. Uh, you can make it a little bit more lighthearted, but um, could you share with me, hiring manager, recruiter, HR manager, what the compensation range is so that I can make sure that we're, we're on the same page here. So essentially, if you get the question asked, it's a simple flip saying, hey, I, I realize you guys are probably benchmarked this position, that you're going to be competitive in this area for, for the experience and skills you're looking for. Can you share this range of things? If anybody gets really hard pressed on you giving them a number or you giving them a current conversation, throw up a little bit of red flag, say, hey, I, I don't feel comfortable at this point sharing that. I want to make sure that I understand what your buddy did. I don't want to price myself out or mm-hmm. price myself below. I mean, it's, it's just tell me what you're paying on that. So I think you can draw a line in the sand and say, hey, I, I don't I don't feel comfortable doing this or it's too early for me to say this or I don't know enough about the job yet. And always, I think if you can ask what the range is, they should have a range. They should be able to share that with you. There's, there shouldn't be any secrecy around that. Now, with that being said, there are some startup companies, if you're looking in the startup field, that have not benchmarked all their positions yet. They don't have 10 other people in your role. There's not this internal equity balance they have. And they are a little bit more open. They may be saying, well, we just want to find the right person. <laughs> and, and I've had a lot of companies tell me that. And so it, it makes it a little tougher because I don't have a guaranteed range. I got to kind of figure out with you and alongside you what, what your compensation expectations or your desired compensation is going to look like. Another thing that's important, is, especially in this industry, don't just get honed in on the base salary. There's so many components to total mm-hmm. compensation that you got to consider. Bonus, equity, time that takes equity to vest, uh, 401k matching programs, long-term, short-term incentives, education reimbursement, hybrid mm-hmm. remote opportunities, whatever it may be. Like, Think about that holistically. And when I'm working with people, I, I work with certain companies that have a lot better stock packages and they have pay salaries, but like holistically, if they've got some exciting tech, like that could be a lot more valuable. Um, mm-hmm. So I think a big thing too around compensation is is try to dig in when, when the conversation is appropriate to not only the base salary, but but the other components of that so that you can, when it gets to negotiation time, you're not only negotiating on one number, but you're negotiating on a lot of things. So it's kind of like buying a house again. You, you might say, well, I'm willing this compensation, but I want X amount of PTO or I well, in this mm-hmm. compensation, but can we provide any more stock? Because I'm really interested in the in the equity components. So hopefully that's that's helpful. That is really that is really helpful because I I know just from my own clients, I've had clients in those negotiations where the employer will tell them we don't have a pay range, that yeah. we don't share that. Like they won't, they won't give it up in their larger companies. So they're yeah. not startups. Um, and that can be really frustrating for the candidate, right? Because they're trying to navigate that process respectfully, but they, it's also a little bit of a red flag for them. And that's something that we work through is, you know, that might be a red flag for some candidates if the company is holding that so close to their chest and not willing to be transparent about their numbers, because that tends to indicate some sort of problem internally, not always, but sometimes. And so that's just something to consider. So you gave some really good insights and tips for how you can kind of hold your ground and, and try to advocate for yourself in that process. Yeah, I think over the next, I mean, five to 10 years, I mean, I don't know how long, I think you'll see a cultural shift on that. I think there's just a mm-hmm. lot of noise out there right now about more pay transparency. I think it's critically important to, to not only our industry, but every industry. 
I mean, I like that certain like states like Colorado is requiring that all job postings have compensation being posted on it. It takes a little bit more of the guesswork out for people. I mean, mm-hmm. again, we all work to live. We don't live to work. And so obviously compensation is a critical component of any job. Uh, you want to be paid for your experience. You want to be able to support your, yourself and your family. Uh, you want to be able to do the things outside of work that you enjoy. And so mm-hmm. um, it, doesn't, it doesn't bother me as a recruiter for somebody that's honed in on compensation. Now, if it's only about compensation, compensation the whole time, then you need to bring some other things to the table, but mm-hmm. uh, you, you deserve as a candidate to understand what that is before spending your time and their time going through, I think, the, the entire process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let's move on to another question. So what does it mean when recruiters say that they are looking for someone with more diverse experience? Ooh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I don't typically use that particular terminology because it's very vague, Um, but (laughs) there's a lot of vague terms that get thrown around within the recruiting field and, and, and hiring managers as well. I mean, when they're coming back and letting someone know, Hey, we we decided not to select you essentially. It it could be a catch-all I think for, for any multitude of reasons of why they selected someone else or or didn't select you and are continuing to look for someone else. So it, it could be just a catch-all and easy out for, for, for whoever to say, hey, we're, we're moving in a different direction. But if, it, if it's genuine, it, it could mean a couple of things. It, it could mean that they decided to move forward with another candidate, somebody else that, that fit their company culture, their, their job requirements better, that they brought some more diverse skill sets. They may be applying for a people manager position and you've not managed people directly and someone else has that experience or, or you may be applying for a job in industry out of academia, but you are, you're competing with somebody that's already got that industry experience and, and that's what the hiring manager wants. Another area is that, I mean, you may have certain skill sets they're looking for and, and they may have four or five boxes they're looking to check off in terms of experience. And you have just a couple of those, but you don't quite have the other ones yet. And so it's a good opportunity if you get that type of message, if you if you get that response from a company to say, hey, I certainly appreciate you letting me know and your feedback. Could you share with me where I may, what skills I may have been lacking through the interview process or, or, or lacking to come to this decision? I'd like to better myself moving forward, whether either learning those skills, developing those skills, or, or just being able to explain them better. And so asking the additional question beyond that, just not taking that at face value and saying, okay, they hired someone that's more experienced, has more diverse experience, whatever it may be. Um, find out what, what was kind of the breaking point. Was it that you didn't have X or you didn't have Y? Like, what do you need to do moving forward to close that gap and other opportunities where you may lose out to someone else or lose out to an internal candidate or whatever you need? So uh, again, it, it could be a catch-all, but it, it could have some meat to it where you've got part of the experience, but you don't have everything they're looking for. And so mm-hmm. it's a good opportunity to, to self-evaluate, learn, ask questions. You may not always get a specific response to, I mean, there is some areas where, I mean, from an HR perspective, companies aren't always going to share every bit of, of their feedback. They're not going to get real granular with you on everything of how you, you messed up in this part of the interview, or you didn't say this, or, or we didn't like this. Like there's some, some areas of risk there for companies that they, they have to be a little bit vague sometimes. So just take it with what it is on, on some areas, but certainly ask the follow-up question and see if it, um, see if they can provide some information to you to help you grow. Yeah, I agree. I think that's always a good idea. Okay. How custom does your resume need to be as far as matching the job posting? Oh, good question. So I don't think that you should be using one resume for 
20 different jobs. Um, unless all those jobs are of identical <laughs> responsibilities, uh, very, 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 very similar companies or anything like that. But you don't have to completely rework it. And so the way that I look at it is, if you have a good foundational resume, then you should be able to, to plug and play the summary part or the skills component aspect or some specific examples in and out uh, for particular jobs as, as you may be applying for maybe a couple of different types of roles or different size companies or whatever it may be. And so I think you can have a pretty foundational resume and make some minor tweaks to each. But when you look at a job description or, or a job is explained to you by a recruiter or a job description is provided, you want to take your resume and that job description and put them side by side and start to say, am I explaining this point of the requirements in, in this way? Am I explaining this? And, and kind of cross check yourself on that and figure out where your gaps are if you don't have certain experience, because those might be the gaps that get brought up in the interview. Hey, we, we like the fact that you have X, Y, and Z, but you don't have A, B, and C. Like, and so be ready for those by looking at these job descriptions and, and tailoring your resume to it. At the same time, you don't want to be a liar. <laughs> you don't want to put on stuff that, that you don't have experience with because you're, you know, probably come back to bite you later on. Um, so certainly make it accurate, make it honest. But um, you, you do want to have a little bit of customization because if I see a resume and a job description and I'm looking at it as a recruiter and I'm not super technical or I don't work in your field a ton, I need to see a pretty good correlation between the two to say, okay, this is worth some more conversation. This is worth 30 minutes, an hour of my time. And so I think that you definitely want to make sure that, that you are showing that in some capacity in your resume and, and taking a little bit of time to tweak it, but don't reinvent the wheel every time. Okay. And I like that you alluded to also that you don't have to have hundred percent of the qualifications to apply for the job because you talked yeah. about interviewing even without that 100%. So I think that was a really good point that you just made within your answer. Yeah. So how do you portray or talk about a gap in employment in a way that protects the candidate, but also isn't too vague. So if it's a health diagnosis, family issues, whatever reason that a candidate chooses to take a break from work, how can they address that in a way that is beneficial to them? Yeah, good question. I, I've, I've come across this pretty regularly um, as life happens to everyone. And so first of all, it's not a career crime to take a break, to take care of yourself, take care of your family, raise your children, or if you just need a, a mental break from it all. I don't see that as a recruiter as a, as a negative. It, it's just part of life. And so as a candidate, you should only share what you're comfortable in sharing in those situations. If it's, a, if it's a delicate situation with a family member or it's a delicate situation with your own health that you just don't feel comfortable in, in putting out there into a, a prospective new employee, you can keep it somewhat vague and say, at this time, at this time, I want to bring up, I did have a, a break in my resume I was dealing with some, some personal health issues at the time. I've made a recovery now, and I'm really excited to get back into the workforce. Um, it can stay as simple as that. If somebody is asking you, well, what did you specifically deal with, or what was what were you going through specifically for me to understand that, that that's, that's crossing an HR line, that's crossing a, a line that you don't, you're not required to share with them. But obviously, we recruiters, hiring managers see big gaps or multiple gaps in resumes, and, and it brings questions to stability. And so I think if you can bring up the, the, what you were able to do um, or why you were out in a very vague sense, that's good enough. Um, I mean, we all, as we get older, have aging parents. Uh, those of us that are lucky to have them until they're uh, in their aging years is, 
is a time where we need to step in and, and repay the favor. And so, I mean, I think it's it's okay to say that. And, and most people have been through some form or fashion of, of needing some time off or needing to, to focus on other areas outside of their career. And so most people should understand. Another good thing, I mean, if it's just a career break, if it's trying to reset yourself, if it's to take time traveling, if, it, if it's any of that stuff, bring up some things that you're able to do that were like, to better yourself personally? Did you take some certification courses? Did you take some online courses? Were you able to learn a new skill? So if you just took kind of a personal break to, to give yourself a breather, talk to them about what you were able to learn and accomplish during that time. I think so. I mean, again, you don't have to overshare. Uh, you're not required to share very specifics. You, you are allowed to be vague. And again, I think coming back to it, it's not a crime, a career crime to, to take a break, to to take care of what's most important, which is yourself, your family, and overall your, your, your mental health. So I think more than ever, companies, I mean, coming out of the pandemic are a little bit more aware of that. I think a lot of us have obviously had some struggles through that time period more so than, than in the past. And so I think companies are becoming more and more aware of it. And so it's, if you have a company that doesn't understand that, honestly, it might not be the right place for you. Um, mm -hmm. If they can't see you as a human and treat you as a human and, and, and not just look at it as a negative, then, then you're probably barking up the wrong tree anyway for, for the type of company you want to be in. Hopefully that's helpful. And, and I've seen it in a lot of cases. And, and for me as a recruiter, people that share, I don't ask questions a, a ton. I just say, hey, let's see you've been out of work for a particular time. Can, can you explain the gap in your resume? Hey, I was taking care of family. I, I had some health issues. That's good enough. That's all I need in my recruiter. Mm -hmm. So. Well, that's really good insight. You provided a lot of really tangible insights and tips and takeaways on today's episode. I know everyone is really getting a lot out of it. I have one more question that I like to ask all of my guests on the podcast, which is what is one piece of advice that you wish you had earlier in your career? Oh yeah. Um, what I've learned is that your manager, your mentor is just as important as the, the name of the company on the door. And so the, the people that you put your trust in to, to, to work under and, and help develop you are, are going to be the biggest career advocates or the biggest hindrances of your career moving forward. So choose wisely on who you work for, not just the company that you work for. And so I think that's critical is, is good managers are great for your happiness. They're, they're great for your career development. They, they help you to achieve that next level versus, versus holding you back. Be just as honed in on who the person that you'd be reporting into, the person that's going to be your mentor, just as, as much as, as who the company is and, and what their name is and, and what they do. So that's mm -hmm. that's one thing I've learned. I work for a great boss now. It makes my life a, a lot more fun. Uh, not that I've had bad boss in the past, but I really enjoy working for, for our CEO. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I can speak firsthand on that. That's a critically important thing. It definitely makes a difference. Yeah. So where can people find you if they want to connect with you after all of this great information you provided today? Yeah. So uh, LinkedIn. So as we talked a lot about LinkedIn today, uh, I am on LinkedIn. And so connect with me, Jeff Kasky, C-A-S-K-E-Y. That's one way. Um, from a professional standpoint, I'm not on a ton of other social media too much. So LinkedIn's the main avenue. But also visit our website at workforcegenetics.com. Uh, we have a job board up, and so we work with about 20 different companies around the region. Uh, we hire everything from early uh, career employees to executive leaders, so feel free to connect with us or any of our colleagues. If you're looking for a new career change, we'll definitely be able to hopefully tie you into some opportunities this year. And then 
We also have a sister company called BioBuzz, and BioBuzz is a DMV-specific networking and, and news uh, events company for the BioHealth region and, and Philadelphia region. So we have events every month. Come out and check those out. They usually involve some 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 good times, keynote speakers, uh, free beer and wine. And so um, <laughs> I will I typically try to get to one of those a quarter. And so um, hopefully we'll see you there or just connect with me on LinkedIn and reach out. I'm always happy to chat. Yeah, that sounds great. I'll provide links to all of those in the show notes so everyone can get connected, can practice their networking with you and reach out. And yeah, so is there anything else that you'd like to add before we end today? No, no, I I appreciate you having me, Melissa. It's it's been fun to talk through this. I talk a lot through this with with candidates on a day-to-day basis, but to to reach a bigger audience is is awesome. And so now I I think it's been a great conversation and hopefully it's it's helpful to some of your listeners out there. And like you said, if you've got anything that you need from me or folks in your network, just feel free to reach out. Always happy to give you my two cents on anything. And this uh, this, has been a, a successful listen for, for some of you folks out there. So. Oh, it absolutely has. I know. I'm going to be hearing about this one for a while. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Your Worthy Career. Visit yourworthycareer.com for full show notes and additional resources to help you on your career journey. Speaking of resources, if you enjoyed today's show, you will love being an email VIP insider where I share trainings, tools, and behind the scenes content exclusive to my VIP list. Become a VIP and join us at yourworthycareer.com. See you next week.